0: Welcome to GovCast, connecting federal IT decision makers. I'm your host, Kate Macri, and joining me today is US SOCOM Director of Science and Technology, Lisa Sanders. Lisa, it's great to meet you.
1: Thank you. It's really nice to meet you, too. Thanks, Kate.
0: So to start us off today, before I jump into questions, could you tell us a little bit about your role at SOCOM and how the conference has been going for you?
1: I am so blessed to be the director of science and technology. I tell people all the time it's it's um, probably one of the top five jobs within the Department of Defense um, to be able to lead a team of folks that execute our resources um, to bring technology to mitigate the gaps. Um, to some of the best warfighters in the world, and uh, really blessed to be able to do that. Um, one of the things that makes us uh, makes this job so exciting is that we have that direct connection to our warfighters. And even though I'm in the science and technology space, which may mean that it may take a while for the equipment to actually be in the field, I'm connected to those users and understanding their needs on an ongoing, regular basis. It, it's not filtered. I'm not reading a piece of paper to get that insight, um, and, and that's just a unique element of this job. And the other unique element is most of the other science and technology jobs in, in the Department of Defense are in a specific area. They are uh, responsible for, you know, weapon systems development or munitions or um, artificial anal- you know intelligence or something like that. We cover an entire gamut, anything that special operations needs that isn't provided by the services is an area that we will do investment in our science and technology portfolio. up,
0: gotcha. Yeah. So speaking of your portfolio, can you discuss some of the technology challenges facing SOCOM right now and how you're looking to address these challenges through your department?
1: So we have aligned our science and technology efforts with the command's modernization priorities. And the command, Special Operations Command's priorities are aligned with what the National Defense Strategy and the Department of Defense is asking us to do. So uh, so we don't get to go off and do our own thing. And we wouldn't want to. We really do want to make a difference in what is our responsibility. So um, so. Integrated deterrence is the um, additional requirement that has been levied on us more recently. We still need to be able to do the same missions that we've been doing for the last 25 years, but that's not the only thing that we're doing. We uh, we really need to understand the range of um, deterrence uh, and where it would happen. Um, Special Operations Command is a global command. We're responsible across the globe. Um, And in order to do that, we do that heavily by, with, and through our partners because we can't be everywhere. We are small, and so we leverage relationships, and those relationships um, need to be developed over time. So technology is one of those ways that we can do that. And we have international partnerships that um, with a number of our, our of uh, our allies where we work together and we understand our problems and, and we seek to do that together. But you asked me specifically, what are some areas that we see? Um, the commander yesterday emphasized that he thinks that a lot of this is going to move to understanding information and decision-making. And um, I completely agree. I've been able to – the good news is that's been a bottom-up and a top-down derived common theme. When you look at strategic documentation, it it really is about the cognitive space. It's about having a range of things and being able to understand the information in order to make a good decision. So um so what does that look like as we go forward? And then at the same time, technology has changed so much. There are so many things that we never ever knew about. And and it wasn't that the knowledge wasn't there because the knowledge there's not that much new knowledge, but it's just available. You know, you don't have to wonder, well, I wonder if this is there. Everything's connected now. I can flip on a, a, a an app on a phone and figure out look at a sensor of something that's happening all the way across you know, someplace all the way across the globe, mm-hmm. and so there's not a wondering. The problem is, is how do you how do you know which sensor to turn on? Right. Is what's in that sensor actually true? Mm-hmm. Has somebody pirated that sensor and they're and they're showing you something else? And does it matter to my mission?
0: Yeah. What are the ramifications of this for JADC2 in particular?
1: So, Join all demand, all domain command and control has a whole lot of letters in it. So I'll just kind of walk through them because they've all got ramifications. Joint matters. And joint has historically meant Navy, Air Force, Army. Well, then we added the interagency, and now we're talking about our partners, right? And so how do, how does whatever we do in the JADC2 domain actually work across all of these people all the time? That's a huge challenge, right? Um And if we actually try to lock down a requirement, by the time that we delivered it, it wouldn't be effective anymore. So I think we have to to be thinking about how do we open up the standards. It's almost the opposite of we we tend to want to close it. Oh, no, I'm going to lock it down so everybody, everybody knows that a square peg is a square peg and it's exactly a quarter of an inch square. And instead... Well, I need to be able to to take a variety of things that are within this kind of a dimension. So if you open it, maybe you can get more flexibility. So joint doesn't mean exactly the same. It means that it works together. So that's one area, joint. All domain, that's everything from physical domain. That means it has to work when it's really cold. That means it has to work when it's really humid. It's not just we've been spending the last 25 years working in a place where generally speaking, it's hot and dusty. Um, And dry, but that's not the entire globe, Um, and so all domain is a physical thing. All domain is also, you know, the the land, sea, air, space, and cyber, Um, cyber being the huge unknown. Um, So which domain are we talking about? And again, I think open is the word there. Because if you try to lock into, well, this is only being done in the land domain, and this is only being done in the space domain, you lose opportunities, and um, you're probably going to have a less effective solution. Command and control. Who commands and where? Um, so, again, we have experienced for the last 25 years, because we have been so interconnected that we have brought many of those command decisions back to a very high level. Special operations as an entity generally operates at the lowest tactical level, making the decisions that they are capable of doing. And in a world that we think is going to be contested, that's going to be more important than ever. So uh, that, that's one of the reasons that we focus on tactical processing and tactical edge capabilities so much. All, all domain, command and control. That's it. I hit them all. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you mentioned cyber
0: being a pretty big unknown. Could you expound on that a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, so c- cyber is, is it's a, a different definition depending upon who you talk to. And um, particularly within the Department of Defense, one of the things that has to be considered when you talk about cyber is, is it cyber in a way that you have to consider what policy and authority you're, you're being constrained under, whether that is, um, you know, in, 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 again, back to the domains, we think of things physically. So we talk about, well, you know, you have the authority to operate in this particular region of the world. You don't have authority. For instance, the military doesn't have authority, generally speaking, to operate in the United States. Well, if something is passing through a server that's on on, on the ground in the United States, is that a United States activity? Mm-hmm. The common sense would tell you that it might not be, especially if by saying that it is, you can, you know, operate with impunity, but those questions have to be asked. Right. And then there's the, you know, I am old enough that my brain falls into default mechanisms of the computer is what cyber is, but phones are cyber Right? Ra- you know, the, the, there are many things that are connecting across radio frequency waves that used to be called Radio are those cyber now because they're not physical, um, you know. So so, how do you define that? And and offensive versus defensive, using the cyber domain for knowledge and situational awareness, vice using it for an effect, vice using it to you know um, to determine where you're going to take action. The intersection of understanding and action. Um, All of those have different policies. All of those have different authorities. All of those have different cultures. Even down to the what type of person does this mission. DOD puts people in military operational specialties. Um, Or civilians are in job series. I, I sit on a panel where we talk about the engineering field, which has grown. We've added some of these data scientists, some of which have been coded as computer scientists, which means that people are saying, well, they need to be trained on help desk skills because that's what computer scientists do. So this whole cyber domain, um, again, the more open you are, the more options you have. But we as humans want to bring things down to, well, I'm going to put it in this box and that way I can control it. So I think that's the That's why it's such an area of interest.
0: Gotcha. So what role do artificial intelligence and automation play in supporting SOCOM mission, and how do they improve the warfighters' experience at the tactical edge?
1: So uh, this is definitely an area. It's a big question. It's an area of growth. Um, So I'm going to draw an analogy to ISR, Intelligence Surveillance and Reconnaissance. And, And we had become very fixated on providing ISR. But ISR is not an actual deliverable. It allowed a mission to happen. All right. And so ISR for ISR's sake didn't actually advance the warfighter. If you think about artificial intelligence, oftentimes it's thought about just in terms of the how can the machine aid me? To do what is the really the optimum question there. And so the way that you phrase that question, I would start with, "What do you want to do with it? How can it enable the operator to be more effective in the environment that they're going to be facing, whether that's physical, cognitive, authorities, you know, domains?" And so, um, so for us, we don't have an AI focus area. We utilize a variety of tools to do things. So um, you can utilize artificial intelligence to dominate the radio frequency spectrum by understanding, and and again, across different effects. So let's just stay on that. For radio frequency management, you might want to use it. AI can determine where is the best waveform to be able to get a signal across this very complex congested environment. Let's say that it's a long distance and it has to go through cities and and it changes from a dry area to humidity. So you can use AI to help, form that wave band so that it can go as far as it needs to go, all right? You can also use AI to jam it, okay, um, to determine where are the weaknesses in passing that signal, and now I'm going to optimize my likelihood of intercepting the signal, all right? Um, you can use AI to formulate uh, and to minimize how much data you have to pass. So it, it's a tool, that can be used in a million different ways, and again, back to where the, the blessing of working in this organization is, is that people will think about, you will never be able to predict all the ways that they'll think about, and when we think about it as a tool, um, we'll actually be able to deliver that kind of game game-changing capability to our users that we want.
0: Gotcha. So are you able to discuss your relationship with DARPA to develop AI applications for the warfighter and how this particular project is coming along?
1: I don't have any specific project that I'm working with DARPA. Um, We have relationships, though, with DARPA in many domains. Well, let me be more specific. I don't have an AI-specific project that I'm doing with DARPA. We do have some projects that we're doing with DARPA because we have such a diverse portfolio. this though is a, an opportunity to really articulate socom focuses on those things that are soft unique that are not basic science but aren't readily off off the shelf when i'm looking for something that's basic science or that is not soft unique i do look to partners to do that so darpa is one of our long standing partners particularly when as we explore how we might solve something the thing that we think is a good idea really needs some basic science, we'll work with DARPA. So if you go back historically, DARPA did a huge amount of basic research on the you know, the use of our artificial intelligence. Um, it's not been that long ago that they've been that they've been doing things like trusted AI, which we've monitored and tracked. I wouldn't say that we're doing a trusted AI with DARPA, but we're definitely monitoring what they're doing with that because we do have to know whether we can and can't trust the information that's coming to us um, if you if you particularly if you're going to use an automated system as your partner mm-hmm. knowing how that the that that is doing what you thought it was going to do and that it hasn't gone off the rails is really critical so DARPA enabled that I didn't have to do a specific project with them for them to do that though
0: right right so in your S&T overview yesterday you mentioned how you're getting more funding for s and projects, but you also have some, you've been having fewer projects the last couple of years, but are getting some more funding for them. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit and like how that is helping to kind of, I guess, well, I guess my question is like, is that because we're slowing down a little bit to really focus on fewer projects and doing them better? Is that kind of like the, the logic behind that?
1: The logic behind it is that um, as we move into this, this phase of the world where our adversaries have a lot more um, uh, resources that they're applying to be able to achieve their objectives, the problems are harder. All right, And so if we actually want to be able to achieve that, we need to – and it's not a match counter match, but it's a we need to be investing appropriately because the problems are harder. And it, and, and it takes more money and it takes more time to do that. I also am, am limited in terms of the, the amount of, of things we can take on. We have a small team. We have about 50 people. All right, and so fifty people to spend $150 to million, one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy million dollars if i 'm doing a million dollar projects, I have to write a hundred contracts, right. you know, and I have to keep track of a hundred different deliverables, and that just we 're spending so much of our time doing the administrative that we 're not able to actually do meaningful work, so by shifting the focus and saying. I'm doing fewer things, but the things that I'm doing are directly related. And sometimes what I'm doing is maybe doing two or three different ways that I could solve the problem, especially early on. I could... I could fix it this way or I could fix it, you know, two other ways, and I'm going to do decision gates. This is actually a DARPA uh, methodology is that they do seedlings where they do multiple approaches against a problem. And then as they determine which one actually has promise, then they, they down select and go forward and, and go forward. So, so sometimes it's I'm doing one particular project and I've got three vendors that are doing it. Okay, so yes, I've written three contracts, but it's the same general type of work and the administrative burden goes down. And and uh, and then it also um, helps us to get things closer to the maturity so that the program offices can pick them up. And it gets them more information about structuring what the program of record will be. Because one of the other things that's happening here is that the work that we're doing is less and less of an incremental change. It's, le- you know, the. In 2010, when I first started working in SoCOM s and we did a lot of work with night vision devices. So we would do a project for a million dollars, and we would put in this wave band of light into this tube of a night vision device, and get through the science of that, and hand that off to the program office. So I knew who that customer was. Or we would do a weapon. We would do, you know, a different sort of an effect off of a weapon. So that was that program office. Now a lot of it, in this new information decision domain there aren't existing programs of record for this. So some of our work is actually defining what this program of record needs to look like and working with the user to define what their requirement is. Is it something that I need to buy 10 of? Is it something that I need to replace every two years? You know, Or is it something that is software that continually rolls out? So having the money the way that we have it now gives us an ability to shape those new programs.
0: So I've heard a lot of DoD, IT, and cyber leaders uh, talk about the importance of, or I guess the challenge really, of spectrums, especially electromagnetic spectrum when it comes to communicating and just, you know, operating out in theater. Is that a challenge that your office is working to address as well for SOCOM?
1: It is, and the so is what's important there. So we are not doing the same thing that, you know, the DOD-CIO is doing, for instance. But in that special operations environment... We absolutely are trying to understand one of the big challenges, and Mr. Smith referred to that as one of our priorities there is operating in a congested, contested environment, dominating the radio frequency spectrum. And um, again, historically, people have thought of that like a physical thing. I have this little chunk of the spectrum and the way that we've controlled it is we boxed it in. We own these wave bands and commercial those, but as we move forward, either because it's congested contested and there's just not enough of it to go around or because the tools and technology that we have don't work that way, we, we need to understand how to, to, to make that to be as comfortable in the electromagnetic spectrum as we've been in the physical world so that we can use the things that help us achieve our mission and we can avoid the things that get in our way.
0: Absolutely. Well, I don't think I have any more questions for you at the moment, unless there was anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up.
1: I just appreciate the opportunity to talk to your listeners and uh, to get a chance to know you. Thank you, Kate.
0: This is GovCast, and I'm your host, Kate Macri, live from Sofic. GovCast, along with CyberCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.